Hello, and welcome to the Say It Out Loud podcast. I am your host, Christine Daynard, and the goal of this podcast is to encourage you to live your best and most authentic life by digging deeper and finding connection through vulnerability. I believe we have been taught that vulnerability is a weakness when in fact it is our superpower. In this space, I will share personal stories and conversations with others so you can be empowered by their strength and inspired to take action in your own life. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get started. Oh yeah, yeah. like I'm a walking musical. My whole family is. (laughs) People are like, this never happens. And I was like, clearly you need to come to our house on a Friday. Because like, that's our household. Like somebody will say something and another person breaks out in song. Oh my gosh, I love it. Well, especially because it's like the Glee house, right? Like I literally, you should like just rename your house Glee because that sounds like that's what it is. Yeah. That's amazing. He can't sing. He just whistles. And then we're like, stop whistling. (laughs) so funny. I love that. Well, and I feel like we could talk all day. And while I'm already recording, I figure I might as well just introduce you and uh, and then we'll get this conversation started because I feel like we could just really talk about a lot of things. Yeah. And funny enough, we already got started talking about a few things and I was like, stop talking. We're going to save some for the podcast. Because sometimes I can't remember if we've already talked about it in the podcast or if it was just a pre-podcast conversation. So I'm always like, my brain, brain cannot compute if we've already talked about this. Um, but anyway, I for our guests who are listening, welcome back to the State Out Loud podcast. Of course, you've got me here, Christine, and I've got a lovely guest, Destiny Moser, who is joining us. Should I call you Chef Destiny? Uh, who is joining us here around Sunshine Island? And um, it sounds like the drive here for you is like a memory lane. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> always a memory lane driving between like all the backcountry roads. Like I'm following all of my family's houses and where my parents got married. And unfortunately my mom passed away. So where she's buried and the ha- like the houses they grew up in. So it's kind of cool making the drive here. Yeah. It's like, it feels sometimes like we're so far away from the region, <clears throat> even though we're in the region, but it's, it's not that far, but it feels far. And so sometimes you feel like nobody ever comes out here, but realizing that so much of your life is actually, been in this area oh yeah it's such a neat little connection exactly like my parents grew up or I grew up in the city but my parents grew up in the country and because of that like I was always at my grandparents house getting babysat that kind of thing so I feel like I spent so much time in these small towns um, and it's what makes me, everybody calls me small town or country, even though I grew up in the city. And it's just cause I'm not a country person. Like I just don't like big cities and I think Kitchener is too big. Mm, it's gotten <laughs> really big for sure. So, so let's maybe start by telling our audience just like a little, like what's your 30, 60 second, like tell a little bit about who you are and, and why you're here today. Yeah, so I am Destiny, and I am a chef, I'm a mom, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a singer-dancer, there's lots of things that I do. I'm a foodie, love wine, you know, it's kind of one of those things where I I don't have um, that special skill that some people are just naturally born with, whether it's like to play the piano or like, you know, good at computers. I'm one of those people where it's like, that looks cool. Let me try. And I might never be the best at it, but I'll always be good enough to pass for pretty good. And so um, I'm a quick learner. I guess that's my secret. Mm. That's my secret skill. But I also love this because so many people are not willing to even try something that's of interest because they're afraid of failing at it or they're afraid of not being good enough at it. And you'll still jump in and try it anyway. Oh, yeah. 
Like there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't try. Like even when it's like food or traveling or a sport, like I'm allergic to shellfish. So that's about it. That's my cutoff. <laughs> a little limitation. What is the, what is the, what would you think is the craziest thing you've ever tried? Craziest wild idea that you've ever tried and actually done? Oh my gosh. I don't even know. That's a yeah. hard question. I have no idea. I feel like I've just done so much. And, and it's because for me, it doesn't seem like a wild idea. Mm. To other people, they might be like, that's crazy. Like, why would you do that? Mm. But I love that. I love that you've been exposed to that. And I imagine that probably has something to do with like where you've come from and like how you've been raised and like, cause there's all those connection points for us, right? Like a lot of us like don't feel worthy to try other things or are too afraid to try them because we've sort of been raised that way or culture in our society has taught us that. But clearly you've been, had arms wrapped around you that allowed you to just be who you are, which is just awesome. <laughs> or free for all. Right. My family was just so big that I think we all just kind of ran wild sometimes. <laughs> well there's nothing wrong with that in no. my eyes exactly. awesome so um so you do all of these things and more recently you uh became a chef do you want to maybe tell our listeners sort of how that came to be where you were and what you were doing and sort of the little piece of that story about how you came to be that yeah so just a bit of background about me um I have minor dyslexia and so high school was very hard for me because I didn't really get diagnosed um until grade 11 and before that, I just had a lot of teachers kind of put me down, tell me I was like dumb, I'd be lucky to pass grade nine, that kind of thing. And I was never somebody that if you tell me that I'm dumb, I'm going to believe you. I was like, no, I'm going to prove you wrong. And that's just my personality. Like I won't let people put me down. Like I'm just going to keep fighting harder. And so I tried the university route. But when I got there, especially being dyslexic, I have a hard time reading and writing. And I didn't realize because in high school they'd say, OK, read these chapters. But the next day you go and I felt like we just reviewed what we were told to read. And so it was more conversational and it was very easy for me to learn that way because it was talking about it. But in university, all of a sudden they're like, read these 13 chapters and then you never speak of it. And so I had a really hard time because I'd read a page and I'd be struggling to read the words that I didn't even know what I read. Mm, so you're kind of like relying on the review component exactly. in order to sort of catch up. Exactly. Huh, that's smart though. Like, I mean, that was, that was smart to be able to handle yourself that way, right? To be For able sure. to learn the information. And I just memorize, like the way I see a word is the way you see a picture. So I always look at it as if this is what it should look like. It's not necessarily how it's spelled. So mm. I've just memorized what they look like. Mm. Um, so anyways, university route didn't really work for me. So I kind of stepped back wondering like what I would do. And I had a friend who worked at this company called Open Text, which was quite small at the time. And when I say quite small, I think they had like a thousand people. Mm. Um, but now they're like 50,000 people. So it's grown a lot. Um, but I started there answering a phone and, I, and it was hands-on learning. And so with in 12 years, I had nine promotions and I ended up as a senior manager at the company and I helped with a lot of mergers and acquisitions from a finance perspective and I became an expert in something called Salesforce. So it was great because I entered the workforce when computers started to become popular. And so I was learning with everybody. So it's not like I was trying to play catch up. Hmm. Now you probably have to go to school and get an education or grow up with computers. But luckily, I just entered in the right time. So I ended up in this startup tech world for about 17 years. And I loved it. But 
there was always a side of me that loved cooking. Like I was the person that if we have a family get together, I would cook. If, if it was your birthday, I would make you dinner. Food became my love language. It's my way of connecting with like my grandmas who have passed, my mom who has passed. And so when COVID hit, I got bored and I've always taken cooking classes and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to see what cooking classes might be available. Maybe there's something online. And I came across this school. It was called Liaison at the time, but now it's called Top Tukes. And they were like, you could get your culinary degree in like 16 weeks or something. And I was like, what? Like I could be a chef, right? <laughs> like, and I had no idea like what I was getting myself into. It was just, I need something to do. My kids are home all day. Something that's just for me. And I went and I learned about personal chefing and I started thinking about all the problems that I had with food. My husband's anaphylactic to dairy, so we can't do those box meals. We can't do pre-made meals. And I was like, this is what I need. And if this is what I need, then there's got to be tons of other people that need it too. So I just, um, in the course I took, it was about being a personal chef and they were like, create an avatar. And I was like, me, (laughs) you know? And, and like, who are you trying to solve the problem for? Me, right? <laughs> and my awkward food family. Yeah, yeah Exa- totally. Exactly. And so while I was there, I basically was building my business as I was doing all of these assignments. And by the time I left, I was already like pretty much deep into it with this personal chef. Wow. Idea. So you like basically took school and built your business plan at the same time. Yeah. Cause why do the assignments twice? Oh my gosh. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that's so smart. Really? What an advantage. Yeah. So amazing. So then, then what, then what happened next? Yeah. So I opened up food Zen, which is a personal chef company. And we basically go into people's homes, whether they're busy families or elderly or just entrepreneurs who don't have enough time to cook or don't people who don't like cooking and um, we do their groceries we cook their food and we leave it in the fridge with reheating instructions so it's kind of like we just sneak in while you're at work and some people still work from home and that's fine and then we leave Mm. Um, and so that was in September 2021 I opened Food Zen and um, around the same time, um, shortly before that, my mom had passed away. Mm-hmm. And um, around the same time, they started finding all these unmarked graves. And we're indigenous. My mom's part of the 60s scoop. So sh- that means she was taken from her community when she was four years old and forced into foster care until she was six. And the residential schools, the stories, stories you've heard are really bad. But I sometimes think just based on my own personal experience, I'm not saying everybody's is the same, but I sometimes feel like the foster care system was almost worse because it's behind closed doors. It's private. Mm. It's like sometimes you're the only indigenous person in that home with other people and they're all kind of targeting you. Mm. And so, so you have like no one else to relate to, like exactly. no one else like kind of in your corner, which we know how important that is, right? For sure. To have like-minded or like-hearted people around you. Oh my goodness. It, it actually breaks my heart just thinking about what happened behind closed doors. Oh yeah. And it's, it's insane. Like the stuff that I know my mom has gone through is it's unimaginable. It's things I can't even talk about because it's just so hurt. It hurts so much. Yeah. Um, and it's the reason she's not here today, right? Mm. This is a, this, these are demons that followed her throughout her whole life. And so I knew that I needed to do more than just sit around and feel sorry for myself 
feel sorry for my mom. Like, no, I need to take action. We need to make sure this doesn't happen again. And people started talking about what really happened to the indigenous people of Canada. And I was like, where do I want my like healing journey to be in that? Mm. And where do I want to put my energy in to make sure that this doesn't happen again? And naturally it was the food. And so I just started working with a lot of indigenous communities in our area. And when I would go to different circles or events, I realized there wasn't indigenous food. Hmm. And I also realized that the farms that my family grew up on weren't even growing food that's Canadian food or raising animals that are Canadian animals. Cows, pigs, and chickens came with the settlers. And all of our food that indigenous people would have eaten or actual Canadian food, like the meats, for example, moose, deer, bison, are considered exotic, even though they're domestic. Interesting. Right? And so all of a sudden, I naturally was like, wow, I've got to do more. And so I opened an indigenous catering company, which does a lot of education. So I go into all the schools and speak about indigenous food as well. And it's called Cedar Spoon, which I opened in October 2022. So it's been a pretty wow, crazy you've been busy. <laughs> You've had a lot going on in a couple of years, but like how neat that you were following your passion and then this door sort of like opened up for you to, you know, dig into some of your past. And like you said, like become a part of your healing journey. What has been the most rewarding part of that so far? So far, it really is just opening my own eyes to what really happened because I kind of knew, but sometimes too, I think I thought maybe my mom just had a really shitty life or a bad luck right before she was adopted um I didn't realize that most indigenous people at some point in their family have gone through the exact same thing like there's not one person who hasn't been impacted by either the residential schools or the 60 scoop who is indigenous in Canada it's at least one generation away Damn, that's right huge. and so I think for me, it's opening my own eyes to that and not walk. Because I sometimes feel like as humans, we walk through life like zombies <laughs> and we just kind of go with the flow and we, we're in a box. And it's been really great to not only open my own eyes, but everyone in my family. And like, it's great because the family my mom was adopted into, um, they've been, and my even my dad's family they've been so supportive and they're coming to the powwows they're coming to the events like they want to learn too Mm. well it's such a huge part of Canadian culture and or it it should be more (laughs) of a part of Canadian culture and um you know, I just, I think it's so amazing that you have taken this, like, I'm sure it's not easy at times to take this role and to be a part of this because, I mean, it's a lot of weight to carry. Oh, for sure. Like, I feel like I have constantly put myself in this inevitable, vulnerable state because mm. I always have to talk about my story and, like, why I'm using the recipes my grandma's taught me who are German, um, and just switching it with ingredients that are indigenous to Canada because I've lost the stories. I've lost the legends. I've lost like why those things would have been important to my ancestors at that time. So I feel like I'm constantly in this position of like I'm, I'm doing the best that I can, but I'm also still learning. And, and then I always have to talk about why I don't know that. So obviously retelling the story of my mom over and over again can be 
you know, it, it can be emotional for sure. Of course. Well, and probably almost a little exhausting, right? Like to kind of keep rehashing the same story over and over again. Yeah. Um, what about it is in your gut, like just keeps drawing you to keep pushing forward. Like what is it there for you? Yeah. Education. I want everybody to know what I know and be proud of that like heritage like we should Mm. be proud of the foods of Canada for example we should be proud of the indigenous history of Canada like even just looking at the way they live settlers thought oh my gosh they're only working until noon they're so lazy but it's because when we were harvesting we picked what we needed to to survive it wasn't to have a 14 course dinner it wasn't about overindulgence right it was about this is all we need to survive so we've met our quota today and now let's celebrate let's say thank you for the food and you know wow what a huge <laughs> lesson that is for north america i mean if we think about the fact that you can go to the grocery store and get just about every item of produce that is available from across the world just about you know, it's not natural. It's not what we were meant to eat. And because we're so damn greedy and need to have everything, right? This like desire to have it all. Um, and it, it, it it's, some, it's a lesson that we really need to come back to. I think it's really important. For sure. And when I started looking at the indigenous diet, I realized that it is the diet naturally that every other diet strives for because it's just the food that is hyperlocal and ultra sensitive seasonal to your area. And so all of a sudden it's naturally gluten-free because we didn't have the mechanisms to turn wheat into like the refined flours. It's naturally dairy-free because we weren't going around stealing milk from all the animals, <laughs> right? Yes. And then it, it's just whole food. And there's, there's no sugar because we didn't have sugar cane. We didn't have the refined sugar. So it has natural sugars like maple syrup and honey and sugar you'd get from fruit. Um, but because it's also um, hyper-local, the only foods we would have had is the foods that were where you live or what you traded. And the indigenous people of the Americas had some of the most vast, crazy, intricate trading lines. So for example, corn's not even indigenous to Canada, Mm. which is crazy because it's everywhere. It is everywhere. Yeah. And so then they would trade it with the indigenous people of Mexico and they fi- tried to figure out how it, how to make it grow in Canada. And instead of using fertilizers and pesticides and GMO and all of these things, they were like, okay, well, it needs nitrate to serve to thrive so let's plant beans with it because beans take nitrate from the sun feed it to the corn and then they were like well it doesn't rain enough our our ground is dry so let's plant a bunch of squash because that acts like a mulch right it protects the ground and so it's very easy to go back to that way of farming and see how they were able to take foods that might not be indigenous to your region but to make it thrive in your region by combination planting instead of fertilizers and pesticides. Mm. Which like I won't claim to be any kind of agricultural like brain nut, but uh, since doing the tours in Norfolk County, I learned a lot about agriculture and about farming and um, how important it is to stick to your roots, right? How important it is to not use fertilizers. And if you have to, well, is there any place really that you don't have to now, right? Yeah. Because that's what is part of the, you know, the way of the world now. Um, but that the less that you use, 
the better, right? And we're, I think, I think, I mean, maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that um, we're starting to sort of start taking some steps backward instead of continuing. Like, this is just like human nature, right? Is, is like, oh, let's try this thing. Let's, let's create a full fertilizer, which from what I understand, wasn't fertilizer created from like, the gases that were used in war like wasn't there some connection I actually don't know yeah I'm pretty sure that they used uh there was something there's some connection and again don't quote me on this but there was some connection from like tear gas to what the combination of things go into fertilizer or go into pesticides that are put on plants Mm -hmm. and we are now consuming that yeah so if you think about how what that did to people having tear gas and that thing is being now put into the soil which is now going into the ground and is coming up through the fruits and vegetables that we're eating and we're consuming them and they're going to our body like obviously that's going to have an issue and it's interesting actually because I learned that I was like dairy and wheat intolerant probably now going back about 10 years ago right like roughly about that time and uh, of course like at the time there weren't as many people who were recognizing that they were having issues like yeah I was bloated all the time and I had gas all the time and like like all these different things but it was just like that seemed normal right turns out it's actually not all that normal to have all those things all the time. Um, But as I was learning about it, it was like the connection to GMOs and to pesticides was really becoming quite apparent. And now, I mean, no one really wants to talk about it, but (laughs) what the more that we mess with what nature is, the more we cause these problems. And here, like I was saying, just like human nature, well, let's try this thing. And now how many years later, it's causing all of these problems. Right. Well, fun fact, before the settlers, indigenous people didn't have diabetes or heart disease. It didn't exist within our communities because we didn't put all of these processed foods into our bodies. Because if you take, say, um, grains, for example, yeah, there are grains in Canada. We would have eaten them, but we didn't over-process it. And by over-processing it, yes, it allows us to eat it, but it takes our bodies longer to break it down and mm. process it as well. Right, because it's almost like our bodies were designed to process things from a natural state exactly, instead of a processed state. So then you give your body something that's already processed, and it's like, what do I do with this? Like, exactly. it doesn't know what to do with it because it's already half done. The work is done. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And so when I started working with my personal chef clients, I would just give them whole food. So a lot of them would be like, I want to lose weight or like, I can't have this, I can't have that. And and funny enough, our food, because it's mostly whole food, there's no gluten anyways. Like we, we don't go to your house and make you pasta because we know that if it's a really busy day for you and you don't have our food to eat, pasta is something you can easily put together. So we try to give you the like short ribs and the pork ribs and, you know, the like whole Sunday dinner on a Wednesday. That's kind of our goal is to give you that whole food. Um, but our clients within 30 days, a lot of them are talking about how they're sleeping better. They've lost weight. Their kids aren't as like rowdy and moody. And so just by taking out those processed foods, even if it's only three days a week, you right away, you start to see how your body changes. Just you feel more healthy. Mm. And what's funny is that your body starts to reject the bad things. So for example, I can't eat at any fast food restaurant. It it goes through me so fast, like I can't even make it home half the time. So mm-hmm. now I just know instinct that causes pain and I don't crave it. Well, and it's interesting too, like, I mean, 
and understandably our families are generally so busy and it's like how do we get all the kids to all the things and how do we manage the house and how do we make all the food and so often families are leaning toward or not even just families a lot of people are leaning toward what is fast mm-hmm. um, can I just throw that lasagna in the from the freezer into my oven which we you know a lot of people grew up just in that right like yeah. through the 80s and 90s like that's when For it sure. became such a big thing was to like buy this frozen lasagna so you know why not that's so much easier why not do that well you know but now it's like well actually it's taken away all of our nutrients there's so many things loaded into all of those foods that our body doesn't need or know what to do with exactly. and it's causing all these problems so yeah. really you're helping by this not only through food zen and then through this education component which is fascinating to me uh through the indigenous side of your business um is that you're really changing the shape of people's households and the food that they're putting in their bodies but you're also like teaching them you know, that there's something really core to fueling your body with good fuel, with good foods. For sure. For sure. And this is why I created Food Zen, because if you're going out to eat two or three times a week, it's better for you to hire either one of our personal chefs to come and help you cook, or you can look at our pre-made meal delivery service because it costs the same or cheaper. And then you're not throwing stuff out either. So you're not buying those salads that end up in the garbage at the end of the week. And the other great thing too, is that um, from the indigenous side, I started to really learn this idea of don't waste anything and so as we're sitting there peeling carrots and cutting the ends off onions or peeling potatoes all these things that people throw in the garbage or the green bin we're going no let's save it all and at the end of the week we turn it into a broth because then we can use that for the next week and so now you're taking all the nutrients out of that food because like there's so much nutrients even in the skin of like a squash but a lot of people don't eat it so we save it all and we utilize it before we throw it out and so you're, even if you have food in your fridge and you're saying, you know, I bought these, I had an intention of eating it, I didn't, no problem. We'll quickly chop it up, throw it in your freezer. And when we're ready to make that broth, then we've got it all ready to go. So you're saving money by not wasting as much. You're less waste for the environment. You know, you're buying just the food you need and you're not putting these empty calories into your body. Because I don't know about you, but if I eat at fast food restaurant, within one hour, I feel starving again, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. if you, even just looking at chicken, for example, if you go to like a grocery store, like maybe those lower budget grocery stores, great, because they always have sales on say chicken. But if you really take a look and you watch, you put the chicken in the oven, sometimes they shrink half the size. It's because they're so pumped full of water because they're trying to make you pay for the weight but then it's water. But if you go to say a butcher shop that you know that utilizes local meats, you do pay more. But all of a sudden you realize that when you cook it, it stays the same size. It doesn't shrink. You don't even need to eat the whole thing. You feel full faster and you feel full longer. Mm. So in fact, you're saving money because you're not eating two or three pieces of chicken to try Mm. and feel full. Mm-hmm. And in an hour, you're not going to feel starving again. It's such an education piece that like, you know, somehow it just, it literally got removed. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like so many people probably have no idea that they could, A, keep all of the ends of their vegetables and make a broth out of it, right? And, and two, I mean, probably it's like, I mean, I think about that and I'm like, okay, where would I even store the vegetables yeah. to do? Like you think about like the, oh, and I don't have time and when am I going to make that? Like I would think of those things because we're busy people. Exactly. But, but I think too, like what you're saying is when we have a plan for all the parts of the vegetables or foods that we're eating mm-hmm. and they're coming from local areas and they're not, you know, pumped full of water, et cetera. Exactly. Like we're getting so much more out of our food, yeah. but also like our bodies are being restored exactly. essentially by eating. And I always say cook once for a minimum of two meals. So if you're making chicken, make chicken for two meals. That's like the biggest time saver. And I do some classes like private classes with different adults. And it's really how can we make five meals in an hour and a half? And so I give them all the tools that they need. But I always say at the very least, you should never make dinner for just that day. Always make dinner for two nights. Mm, I did that last night. There you go. I made enough chicken for two days, maybe three, which is amazing. Yeah. I mean, that way it's just time saver, right? Mm. And, And that's the thing. Like you, we spend about 10 hours a week just planning food and eating or not even eating it, but planning it and grocery shopping and preparing it potentially throwing it away mm-hmm. so I really just wanted to help with all of that and all of all those little things count towards your own budget be towards your own health and even your kids health like just recently I watched this documentary and I was on a panel at the KW or KPL and I learned from all these scientists that in the next 50 to 60 years there will be no topsoil left to grow food you can't grow food and dirt and dust and if you go to a lot of places around north america you'll see crops that are literally just devoid of anything it's just weeds because we have taken all the nutrients out of the soil by using fertilizers and pesticides and so we really have to start thinking because that's my kid's lifetime Mm -hmm. might be mine if i live to 100 but like they won't have any way of growing food. And the other fun thing is we all talk about this carbon issue in the air. Plants take all that carbon to grow and thrive and feed 60% of that carbon to the soil so, so that it can grow and thrive. And so it's like, okay, we're solving the carbon problem. We're solving the food crisis. It's just these small little things that we do like we have to really start thinking like yeah i don't have time to save my scraps but this is going to impact my kids Mm. hey i'm just going to interrupt this episode right here for a second because i want to invite you to join me in the joy project community it's a place where me and a sisterhood of women are building meaningful connections with each other where we don't feel the need to hold back or put on our best face. We just show up as we are. It's a place to be encouraged to say the things out loud, to build your confidence, to learn about yourself and learn how to lean into your authenticity. It might be time for you to consider joining us. If you're feeling the pull for deeper connections You want to have more honest conversations and find a place you belong simply by being you. We meet online every week and we host an in-person social once every few months within the Waterloo region. So if you're feeling the pull to be a part of a group of women who are leaning in to focus on the good, to see life with a half cup full perspective and lifting each other up, this just might be what you've been looking for. Learn more and join us by visiting itsmechristinedca slash community. I really can't wait to see you in there. 
Well, I remember watching this documentary on Netflix and it was like called The Little Big Farm or something. Oh, I or, love that. Is that what it's, it's called? It's so good. It's, I, that's like my dream. Oh my God. It's so good. And they were talking about how, actually, I think this is how I learned about how where like the bombs or something about the detonation of bombs in the war, whatever is what the component is in, in fertilizers and pesticides. And But they were talking about how like they grow this farm in California and all of the neighboring farms became singular um, production farms, basically. So I don't know if there's probably another term for that, mm-hmm. but where they would just grow one crop or have one animal in a field. So just cows, or they would just grow corn, yeah. maybe alternating, alternating with like beans or soy or something. Right. Um, but that just like what you're saying, all of their topsoil is dead. Everything is turned to dust. And so they had all of these neighbors when they bought this farm that, um, that like were dusted mm-hmm. and they were determined to bring the life back to this farm and learn through this, like historical farmer. I yeah. don't remember exactly he what he was. Passing away and I was like, I want to hire that guy. I know, right? Like he was amazing. Like, so their, their mission for anybody who hasn't seen it, go check it out. I, I hope it's still on Netflix, but, um, basically they, this, this couple ends up hiring this guy who comes in as a specialist about how to like basically go back in time to create a farm that is self-sustainable and that it takes like seven or eight years to build it. But that when you build all the different components together, like nature's not dumb. And if you don't believe in God or like, how you know like it's like everything was created for a reason the way that it is because one thing helps support the next thing helps support the next thing so after finally which with lots of struggle Mm -hmm. after about seven or eight years they noticed that because they included all of the components of the farm from varying animals varying birds uh, or various birds various crops all these different things that literally the farm was taking care of itself they didn't need pesticides they didn't need anything else at first they were having struggle but then it was because of one other component it hadn't been included yet and it was just so fascinating to watch but like it's possible to regenerate it but like the bigger thing and I I don't you know I don't want to step on any big toes out there but like the the problem is big money-making companies who are creating these things who seem to like solve a problem in the moment but like I was saying they don't they're not thinking big picture like science is great you can create all you want but if it's gonna (laughs) if it's gonna hurt us in the long run maybe let's take some time to look and see how that's gonna work out before we implement it everywhere and now have all these fields of dust that are going to take a lot of time to regenerate. For sure. It's crazy. Like, I love that movie so much. That was kind of my first eye-opener to, like, what am I really eating? And I remember my son's dad came home from work. I think this – well, it would have been, like, 17 years ago. And he had all these meetings about how bananas are no longer fruit. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, what are they? vegetable right yeah because usually that's like the next thing right and he's like no they're herb and it's because we've genetically modified them so much that they no longer can reproduce on their own so without human interaction bananas wouldn't exist unless you go to a country where bananas happen to be indigenous and it's in like your uncle's backyard or something right wow it's actually not even like real food anymore like I when I was growing up you'd bite into a banana and have those little black seeds they're gone that's very true I didn't even think about that yeah and so we're taking the seeds out of these things we're genetically modifying them and there are now countries around the world that are starting to outlaw genetically modified foods but Canada needs to get there too we have some of the largest land here and we also have a lot of water 
And, you know, if we don't start thinking about the way we farm and the way we do agriculture and just letting the land be the land. And when I talk about land back, for me, land back means getting the land back to kind of its original state. It's Mm. not me saying, oh, I'm indigenous. You have to give me back the land physically. Like, no, let's work together and figure out how to get the land back to its more natural state. Hmm. What do you think the odds are of that? What do do you think that looks like? I think the conversations have really been happening over the last like three, four years for sure. And I think COVID was a huge eye-opener. Like a lot of people saw, for example, there was a documentary on Apple TV. Hmm. And of course, just like everybody, we kind of over COVID fell into the streaming networks because you're just bored and you don't know what to do. But it showed what happened to the world just over the course of like 90 days of COVID, two years of COVID, that kind of thing. And what struck me was there was um, a young man in India and he was about 30 years old and his whole life he lived in India and he had never saw the Himalayas. And then because COVID forced us all inside, his dad called him up to like the roof of their apartment and was like, come here, come here. And they were literally right there. They looked like they were 50 feet away. And he had never seen them before because of all the smog and the pollution. And, you know, animals started coming back and, you know, fields started to thrive. And I think that opened a lot of eyes for people. One, the earth was repairing itself. And two, we realized that we didn't need to work this ridiculous grind all the time to thrive and be happy and make money. Mm. Yeah, that was a big lesson from that time for sure. And I think there's some people that maybe didn't get that, but... (laughs) I think there are a lot of people that, I mean, we're seeing that in the decline of people wanting to work for organizations and a lot of people that are developing side businesses or, you know, businesses on their own because they're starting to connect the dots of like what they really want and what they don't want. And like, this is maybe even a big component of that and somehow has weaved its way into what you're doing today, which is yeah, so cool. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I love this. So you, you were mentioning earlier when we were chatting, uh, I think prior to the podcast, bear with me if this is repeat on the podcast, because like I said, sometimes I get a little confused, um, is that, um, you are out there teaching in schools, you're teaching children in our school system, about this. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, I met a group of people who work with the OEAP organization at the high schools, which means Ontario Youth Apprenticeship Program. And they were originally just kind of looking for somebody who was a chef in the region. And then they had extra budget that they could use towards indigenous teaching as well. And so, I'm one of two indigenous chefs in the region and they were basically like, if you're free, we would love you to come in and talk about indigenous food. So these are courses that are already happening. There's a grade three course. And then I think in like grade 11, there's a social studies course as well that you can take to learn more about indigenous food. But um, there was some indigenous people on that committee within the Uh, school board who were indigenous and one of the things that always drives me nuts is because when I say to people oh have you ever had indigenous food the first thing they say is fry bread bannock bannock tacos like and I'm like well first of all bannock and fry bread it's not indigenous and even within my own community of indigenous people are like who told you that and I'm like well it's kind of obvious because it's made with flour sugar Hmm. you know and we didn't have those ingredients so I did my research 
and I found out that it's actually Scottish and at one point when indigenous people were being starved off a lot of our animals were killed they killed over 40 million bison leaving maybe like a couple thousand a lot of our crops were killed off they made our food illegal they made our food exotic they made our food specialty so all of these things got put put these barriers so that we couldn't eat our food so we were struggling and we were surviving off government rations and there was a group of Scottish people that were just like here let me teach you how to make bannock and so I hear these teachers and they're like oh my gosh we were doing indigenous studies and we taught the kids how to make bannock and I'm like (laughs) 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 and so like it it's great because now I'm going in there and we actually talk about like the food that was here prior to the settlers. And that includes food that comes from like Mexico and South America because those were trades that we had. But I mean, I'm going to make Italian people feel very mad because anytime I say it, they get so mad at me. But (laughs) tomatoes aren't indigenous to Italy. They're indigenous to South America, Hmm. right? And potatoes aren't native to ireland they're indigenous to south america so (laughs) and so it's just funny there's these foods that the settlers brought with them and they were like check out what we have for you and we're like we already have that (laughs) (laughs) so it's just cool to get in there we talk about the food all the kids get to participate and they can cut if the school allows them they get to cook the soup together and we make wild rice salad and i talk about how wild rice is indigenous to Canada people don't realize that Hmm. and a lot of the population of wild rice is almost like it started to almost go away but wild rice is a natural filtration so if we were to bring back the population of wild rice around our Great Lakes and our rivers within seven generations it would be clean right and so these are things that we have to start thinking about so I figure if I get in there and the more students I'm teaching from grades three and up these are I these ideas are being planted in their heads. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely, this is awesome. And uh, hold on one second. We're just having a podcast interview, okay? I expected so. Okay, so you can go upstairs for a couple minutes, and I'll call you down when we're done. Sure. Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, totally did not realize that much time had already flown by. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, sorry, there, we got a little interruption because my son came home from school while we're sitting here around Sunshine Island. The one downside of not having, like, an actual, like, studio room in itself, one day, Destiny, one day, whatever. we got to start where we're at, right? That's what we can do. Um, So I'm curious, like, outside of, because this is all really fascinating, and, I mean, naturally, I want to, like, I want to ask you, and maybe you have or don't have this, but, you know, where are there resources that we can, you know, how can we find what's Indigenous to our area? How can we, you know, cook or, or shift our style? to um, be eating more of what's natural to our area and probably a whole lot better for us. How can we do that? Yeah, so it's really hard to find resources, one, because so much of it was buried or not allowed to be talked about until recently. So they are harder to find, but where I started was um, there's a cookbook called The Sioux Chef, and it's spelled Sioux, like the indigenous tribe. I think it's like S-I-O-U-X. We'll, we'll yeah. find that and put that in the cold exactly. notes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I started there, and it's by a chef named Chef Sean Sherman, and he grew up near the Great Lakes on the U.S. side. So I right away was like, well, a lot of the foods that he would have access to would be similar to our region. And so I started there. And then it really just came down to taking the recipes my grandmothers taught me and going, you know, substitute for beef 
right? And then it would be like bison or venison or moose. And then I'd be like, okay, so let's start there. And then um, I would think about potatoes. Okay, I'd Google where are potatoes native to? Where is cinnamon native to? And so I keep kind of just doing these First, I Google what I can substitute, and then where is it native to? And that's where I started to learn that most of the spices that we use uh, actually come from Asia and the Middle East. And so we did have peppers and things like that, but a Mm. lot of those spices we wouldn't have had. And I started to learn like plants that we have here. I can't walk anywhere within five minutes and not seeing sumac. And we've been told our whole lives that's poisonous, don't eat it. It turns out it's not poisonous. There is a poisonous uh, kind, but it only grows near the water. So I just avoid all sumac by the water, but it's not poisonous. It's this beautiful berry that has like a lemony citrus flavor to it. So we use that instead of citrus fruits and junipers we've been told are poisonous. They're not. And when they're ready to harvest, you can dry them out and they taste like pepper. So that instead of pepper, you can use juniper berries. And so I started just learning about all of these things. And funny enough, I've learned more through anthropology than I have through any kind of like food books. Interesting. Because like in some ways, it's really cool how um, different settlers have introduced different herbs and spices and foods and different things to different mm-hmm. countries. And so now we have the ability to make, you know, Thai food and and Chinese food and all these different kinds of foods. But also, you know, it's like, for me, it hurts my heart to think of the history that happened behind um, literally burying our indigenous history and making it impossible for um, these people people to live, survive, um, and, and for what, you know, mm-hmm. like that connection, you know, it's interesting because in like, even the joy project community, we talk about how, um, you know, it's like everything is generational, right? So it's like what we learn and what we believe in and what we believe about ourselves often comes from the generations before us. Right. And so every generation of course has had their struggle and, and there was immigration and there were all these different things that have happened, um, which still affect us today, like generationally. So, I mean, I'm sure that half of what I used to believe about me or about, whatever, my life, um, have shifted now. But but for many years, that, that came from like two or maybe even three generations ago. And that seems like, you know, when we think about the impact of our, of the generational impact of what our beliefs, our systems are, and what we passed down to our generations, and, and this is yours. Like, you know, it's one thing that my, my extent or my generational family, um, you know, eventually got land and was able to build a farm, but they, nothing that ha- nothing that happened to your ancestors, what I'm trying to say here, right? It's like yeah. nothing that happened to your ancestors ever happened to my ancestors. Yeah. At some point in history, probably. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. British, fair enough. You've been conquered. Yeah. No, that's okay. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. But like, this is not that long ago either no. is the thing, right? It's like, um, it just, it's, it's, we are often a product of our history and I just find it so crazy that like, you know, man will take out anything that they either don't understand or that they don't believe in just because of what, like control yeah. money, exactly. <laughs> like that's so messed up to me. Yeah. So I'm so glad to hear that you're, you know, bringing back the education component and you're not only teaching yourself, but then using that information and education to help teach our children and hopefully that will be part of the ripple effect you know it's like we sometimes I think feel like we're just one person what change can I make is just one person but the one person ripple effect can be really huge and not only the the energy that you're sharing and bringing all this back to life but also like the education
education that you're sharing with all these children, um, you know, it may not it may not strike every family in a direct way, but it's certainly going to be there as a component of their future. And I think that's really, really exciting. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I'm I'm really just also, you know, from a personal perspective and the fact that you've literally transitioned your whole life, right? So you've gone through all these things in the last several years. You know, you went from working corporately, and I'm sure as much as you enjoyed your career and, you know, it's a great local company, that there are challenges working corporately and then to work for yourself. And there are challenges working for yourself. And there there are lots of life changes that happen in the middle of that. So, you know, is there is there anything in there that, like, what has been your greatest struggle as you've transitioned through, you know, going from working corporately and having like what I would air quote as a normal life mm-hmm. um, into <laughs> this life that is obviously very different now? How, what has, what have been a couple of your struggles in that? Yeah. So for one, it's not like work is falling on my lap. Like if I was in corporate world, you'd kind of get in and you'd have like a hundred emails and a hundred tasks and everything would just be like lined up for you. Well, now starting your own business Nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows who Food Zen is. Nobody knows who Destiny is, right? Like, so all of a sudden, I need to figure out how to get out there and find the work. And so that's definitely the most challenging, especially because our target market generally is like, you know, the 40 and up market. A lot of us aren't on social media. Um, So, and then can't read nobody watches the news anymore nobody reads the newspaper hardly anybody's listening to the radio they got playlists so how do I get my name out there Mm -hmm. um and then with COVID like I started two businesses in COVID so I couldn't network by showing up to events and you know doing these conferences and things like that because they didn't exist and Mm -hmm. so I would say my biggest challenge would be going from having this long list of to-do items to having to create that list for yourself like Mm -hmm. I have to think about that part of it like what do I'm gonna what am I gonna do today yeah for sure and I know too like um because obviously I feel that as well right like with my previous business and with the the current work that I'm doing now it's the same thing it's like you you just have to keep getting in front of people and find unique opportunities to be able to do that Mm -hmm. so that people can see what you're all about and get a taste literally (laughs) a taste of what you're all about (laughs) um but also becoming I I find um you know becoming an entrepreneur and really shifting our lives into something that's so different from what the average person is doing. Um, you know, entrepreneurs is like a very small percentage. It's like 1% of the population that become entrepreneurs. So naturally we fall into the category of the weirdos, right? And the different people. And why, why would they, why would you do that? And yeah. like, um, and it's doing things differently. And naturally as an, as a, as a component of doing things differently, we run into changes in our personal lives. We run into all these different things. So what have maybe been some of those hiccups for you? What have been some real changes that you've noticed in yourself and um, in your surroundings as you've developed differently into this new thing and a new part of you? Yeah. So I really, truly believe that everything up to me starting these businesses was meant to be so that this business could be successful. Like Mm. I was already the person who stood out and the kind of weirdo. I always called myself like the misfit toy, right? Um, growing up like I was the more mature one I didn't really act like a kid I was kind of an old soul right so you know I got picked on a lot just because I was different so that gave me a lot of backbone to you know what no I'm going to be a fighter in this um you know going through teenagehood adolescence starting at you know this company dealing with my dyslexia you know having to constantly prove myself because even in the corporate world I remember I had a boss one time I had applied for just a team lead role so 
yeah, you're a manager, but like you're managing people, but you're not their manager. You're just kind of being that go-to person for them. And he told me that I couldn't have the job because I don't have a degree and nobody would take me seriously when I would go to approve things for them. And I just kind of was like, okay, I didn't really think anything of it at the time. I just thought, oh, that's just a requirement for the job. It has nothing to do with me being like a bad person. I just don't have that like checkbox or whatever but then the next manager who came along was like why aren't you applying for this team lead role that's up because it was a few years later and I was like oh just because like I don't have a degree so like I was told I can't sign off on things and he's like who told you that he's like he's like I come into work there's a lineup at your desk I come back from lunch there's a lineup at your desk people clearly go to you for answers and for support so you, you're already acting like you're their team lead anyway. So that definitely changed my mind to like how I saw myself. Mm. And then like I just d- decided from there that I was just going to try and tackle every task that I got and I would strive to learn new things. And so I ended up working in this company where I sat in all these different positions, laterally, up and down the ladder. And when I left that, I took everything I learned from, you know, getting that backbone and that grit as like a kid and a teenager to, you know, trying as much as I can and learning all these things from like customer support to finance to business systems, you know, to sales, to all of that. And then I just threw it all into my business. So Mm. the struggle, there hasn't really been much of a struggle except for getting my name out there. And like, as soon as I talk to people, everybody's like, oh my gosh, like, I love what you're doing, but they don't know who I am if I don't talk to them. And so it's, I feel like everything I've done to this point was meant to be so that I could run this business and I could educate these people because I know when I step back from corporate world, even you struggle with finance, right? Like I was in a pretty cushy job Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, you know, like I'm going to have to take a pay cut and I know we can handle it, but like, am I really ready to take a pay cut? Because like I'm not totally saved up for retirement and I don't really have all the money my kids need for school or whatever. And then I ended up winning like $10,000 in a radio contest. And I was like, okay, I hear you. Like, I feel like I got slapped in the face. Universe. Stop. (laughs) Stop thinking, just do it. And it's weird how much I struggled making this decision and three years later it's been so food zen's been around now two years cedar spoon one i can't believe that like i just like what i was worried about i'd have no idea what i was worried about mm. but again <laughs> like i would say a lot of that is like our conditioning right yeah. we're conditioned to believe that that this is the way that we do things right it's not this way yeah and you've stepped outside of that norm in a number of ways already you know and i just want to say too like newsflash school is not for everyone no. and there are a lot of us like i'm one of them a university i would have been a disaster in because study and theory is not where i do my best work it's mm-hmm. like if you look at people's love languages and learn and look how people love and look how people learn, you understand that people learn differently. And just because someone doesn't qualify to go to university, which was, you know, is an institution created by man, right? (laughs) Um, Created by the same men who made being indigenous so damn hard, right? Like, um, I just want to throw that out there. Um, (laughs) But is that, is that we don't need to have these qualifications 
to qualify ourselves for being in different positions in the world, in our lives, and what we choose to do. I think that is such a, there's such a, like, as soon as you said those things, I was like, oh, like, that's a huge message out of your experience in the world and your experience through going through corporate and coming into this business is that, you know, and I tell people this all the time, you can choose whatever you want. Mm -hmm. You can always learn. Exactly. And if you're interested in learning what you're wanting to learn, it makes it easier to learn, right? And we can always learn. It doesn't matter if you're 25, 45, 65, you can always change the direction of your life. You can always do something different. For sure. And I'm just, I'm so glad that you listened to your gut. <laughs> and I know that it took a while because I know even with me it did, but like when I left corporate to, to do the buzz, like that was hard to do, right? It was really difficult to do. But when it boiled down to it and everything kept pointing toward Christine, just do this thing. Yep. It was like, okay. And it's almost like this, maybe you can relate, but it's almost like this surrender. Yeah. You just have to surrender to not having all the answers not knowing when or how things are exactly going to work out, but that you're just following what you feel and doing what feels right for you as an individual instead of like what the masses are doing. For sure. And two things, like one, I didn't think that I could be a chef. Like I always wanted to be a chef. And like I literally grew up just having the food networking in the background. I was always experimenting. I was the one that loved cooking for my family. And it was something I wanted to do, but I thought – it was a box, right? So if you want to be a chef, you have to work in a restaurant or you have to cater and you have to work evenings and you got to work weekends. And I just didn't like that lifestyle. Mm. So if you have a passion and you're thinking, well, no, like I can't do it because you're thinking inside that box, think outside of it. Like I never thought about personal chefing. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, I can cook and I can follow my passion and I can do it within nine to five, right? So that's like, one big thing and then the other thing just going back to education what you said about not everybody has school that was another really cool thing I've learned as I've been you know reintroducing myself to the indigenous culture is that prior to the settlers they basically kind of taught kids the same thing up to a certain point and then if I just use like today's education as an example because it's easier oh so and so is really good at math but they suck at English cool let's just teach them the English they need to know to be really good at you know math and so maybe they're really they, they should be a mechanic that's what they love that's what they strive so let's only teach them what they need to know mm. in math and science and basically yeah. encourage the skills that already come naturally to them because that's in their wheelhouse exactly instead of the report cards continuously coming home saying your child needs to work yeah. on these three components exactly which like, I think is such bullshit yeah. like and then everybody had a place in society mm -hmm. so you didn't feel like you were being left behind or you weren't good enough because y'all kind of learned the same thing together until a certain point and then everybody's you know natural skills kind of came into place so then you would work on building up that skill and you know still figuring out how to give you those skills you maybe weren't so good at so that you could be good at the one thing like you mm -hmm. still have to be able to read and do math if you want to be a mechanic but you don't need Shakespeare to be a mechanic. Right. You don't need to be an accountant to be a mechanic. Yeah. You can hire one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. I just, I love that. And they're, the, they're such simple lessons, but like we are so ingrained in our culture to believe that we are not worthy if we don't have all the things. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how many times I've talked with, especially female guests or friends about the fact that like as women, if we go to apply for a job and we see like 10 qualifications and we don't have one of them, we won't apply, generally speaking. 
Okay, maybe not you, but <laughs> mo- 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 the rest of us. Um, but where uh, generally a guy or a man will look at that same list and not have six things on the list and they'll still apply thinking, I can do this, yeah. right? Like I can figure it out. Exactly. And, and, and that's, I mean, also a part of like, you know, patriarchy and like a lot of conditioning, et cetera. But it just, it just reminds us that um, we don't have to check boxes, you know, it's like we can check our own box for sure, for and sure. just keep following. Like, I think this is a big piece that I really hope the world keeps continuing to shift in. And like, this is certainly the work that I'm doing is trying to encourage specifically women yeah. to just keep following their hearts and keep following what's right for them yep. and doing what, what feels right instead of just what they feel they have to do, exactly. which is why I think we're stuck yeah. in half the mess that we're in. <laughs> and you really just have to look at the skills and be like, is that a teachable skill? Yeah. If it's something you don't feel you could learn, like I can't learn to be an acrobat. I'm too old. My b- body is broken. So if it says you need to learn to be an, you have to be an acrobat, I'm not going to like fake it till I make it. Like <laughs> there's no way I'm ever going to be an acrobat. So I'm not going to apply for that job, but you have to look at it going, you know what? I might not have that skill today, but I can learn it, right? Mm -hmm. Like I said, I started at this corporation answering a phone and they said, how fast can you type? I didn't grow up with computers. I was like, I don't know as fast as people can talk. Like I didn't actually know what that meant. That's just what I said. And then I got there and I was struggling to like get these trouble like IT tickets open. So I'd have to quickly like chicken scratch them on the side and then finish the ticket once I got off the phone. But now all of a sudden I'm a super fast typer because I just put myself in that position because I had all the other skill sets and I just didn't understand what how fast typing meant. Like I'm sure mm. that if I was like my grandparents' generation where they were, you know, typing on typewriters and stuff, but we just didn't, I, 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 that's a gap for me. Yeah. But now I'm totally fine. And, and funny enough with my dyslexia, I didn't learn to type the way you're supposed to. So my typing's even a pattern. So if you tell me to do a sentence without looking at my hands, I can do it. But if you say, where's the X? I'm like, I, I don't know. Huh. I have no idea. Well, and again, it's <laughs> like, there is no one way to do everything or exactly. anything, right? It's like, we can all find ways to make things work for us when we need to. And I just think that's such a, a great way to sort of, um, you know, end and exit our, our, our chat here today. And I just want to, first of all, thank you so much for coming all the way here to Sunshine Island. To sit and chat on this, like what is seemingly a really gross and gloomy, gross, gloomy day outside. And uh, you've really lit up this space um, by sharing your story. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. It's been great. And if you can leave our listeners with where they can find you and how they can learn a little bit more about Food Zen and all of these different cedar spoon and the different things you're doing, please let us let us know what that is. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and my website is allfoodzen.ca and then on the cedar spoon side it's cedarspoon.ca on those same three platforms amazing thank you so much destiny for being here and listeners i know you learned several things in this conversation today because i know i learned a lot (laughs) about our history and about food and about you and uh, i just hope that you'll pick up a couple little nuggets here and remember at the end of the day you do you Do what's right for you and you can learn anything, anytime, and you can move in the direction of your heart. So go and do it. Um, We'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'd like to invite you to hit the follow button on this podcast so you'll be notified when the next one drops. And if you liked this episode, please leave a review as it will help others to find this message. 
you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at It's Me Christine D. Or if you'd like to connect about being a guest on the show, ask me about group or one-on-one joy and mindset coaching, learn more about the Joy Project community, or consider hiring me for your next speaking engagement, please visit itsmechristined.ca. Thank you again, and I'll see you next time.